Welcome to the Hillside Podcast. We trust that you'll be impacted by listening to today's message. It's an awesome privilege to talk to you guys, hey? I'm really, really chuffed to be able to share with you. And I want to share with you tonight um, about a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. So we have just had an awesome introduction to this because we've just had a meeting which has been thoroughly empowered by the Holy Spirit. We've just had an incredible time of worship and ministry and connecting with God and the Holy Spirit has just flowed through all of that, which is really, really wonderful. So I want to talk about this that we've experienced here being part of our lives out there every day um, because I believe that is what he desires for us. So last week, we had this Heaven and Healthcare conference, and it was all about breaking down the sacred-secular divide, um, in, obviously for healthcare professionals particularly. So the idea, so, so for them, probably more than most people, they have this problem that they come to church on Sundays, and then the rest of the week is just doing medicine and doing your job. And, and, I, and I guess that's true for lots of people in lots of occupations, or whether you are employed, or whether you're in school, or whatever you do. The idea that, that we've got this kind of faith-based thing that we do. And then in the particular case of medicine, it's just scientific and it's a job and it's something that, that there's this massive divide between the two. So Pete Carter, who was our keynote speaker, told us that he'd never actually felt a conflict between his faith and the science that he studied over many years to become a doctor. Because basically, science is the discovery of what exists out there and its application to life. And if you think about it, science, if anybody has studied any science at all, is not a fixed thing. Do you know this? Do you know that, like, I'm, I'm told that the, the chemistry that you learn in high school gets rewritten when you go to university because things change, they become more complex, new things are discovered. So the knowledge about the world we live in is never complete. And if the knowledge about the world we live in is never complete, well, how do you imagine the knowledge that we have about God? How is that ever going to be complete? How are we ever going to know all there is to know about, about God? So Pete threw out this little thing that, that religion is just history without discovery. So if, if, we're, if we're Christians and we think that we've got God in a box and we've got them all sewn up, then probably we've stopped discovering and we're just in dead religion. So, so that is my heart's desire, is, is that we kind of allow God out of the box tonight. So at the conference, Pete asked this really, really killer question, which is, when you became a Christian, which Holy Spirit did you receive? The one who works miracles or the one who doesn't work miracles? Think about that for a moment. Okay, who got the miracle working one? Who got the not working miracle one? You know, who got the downgraded sort of, you know, Holy Spirit light or something, the, the cheapo freebie program? Um, I mean, we, we kind of know that that's crazy. Um, so if we had two different believers and one of them believed that the Holy Spirit inside him or her is a miracle worker... And then we had another believer who had no idea that that was possible. Which one would be more likely to see miracles? Do you think? Probably the one that thought miracles were possible. Okay, so it's a no-brainer of a question. And it's not a new problem. We find it in the Bible. So if you'd like to turn with me to Acts 19, we'll find that this was a problem they had sometimes in the New Testament too. Okay, so this is the story of Paul, and he is in Ephesus, um, and he, he has been traveling a while, and we're going to read from 
um, chapter 19 and verse 1. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard there's a Holy Spirit. And he said, Well, into what then were you baptized? They said, Oh, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. And he entered the synagogue, that is Paul, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Okay, that's a great passage, hey? So we see from this passage that it's quite possible for believers to have no experience of the Holy Spirit because they had no expectation of the Holy Spirit. So they didn't know there was a Holy Spirit, so they didn't expect anything, and consequently they never received anything. So were these people really saved? That's a kind of moot question, isn't it? Well, he calls them disciples. Luke says they were disciples, and they had heard John's message of repentance, and they had exercised faith towards God. Well, I think that's a pretty good definition of being saved. Hey, they'd they'd repented and they'd believed God, but they're not aware that there was actually anything more than that. So when Paul explained to them that actually, yeah, there is more, they had no problem receiving the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues, and prophesying. Now, I personally find it quite sad that the evangelical and charismatic wings of the church have been hung up for the last 2,000 years on the necessity of speaking in tongues and prophesying, kind of like, like should, is, should you prophesy, shouldn't you, can you speak in tongues, can all believers speak in tongues, and it's been this massive debate in the church literally for 2,000 years. And why, the reason I find that sad is it's kind of like, well, it's as if, is that all the Holy Spirit is, is about on the earth? Um, Yeah, in this passage, you see that Paul thought it was a good idea for the disciples to start to speak in tongues and prophesy. Because as he explained in 1 Corinthians, that's 14 and verse 4, if you want to note it down, he who speaks in a tongue edifies or builds himself up, and he who prophesies edifies the church, that is, other people. Okay, so so speaking in tongues is great, good for you. Prophesying is wonderful, good for other people. But do you think Paul was content to leave it at that? No, because we've actually seen in this passage that the work of the Holy Spirit in Paul energized a whole sorts of different things. It energized some bold preaching, some reasoning, some persuading, as well as some extraordinary miracles. Now, what do you think is an extraordinary miracle? Have you ever thought about that? Like, um, are they ordinary miracles? I mean, what, what, I mean, maybe an ordinary miracle is like somebody, hey, just gets healed. Maybe an extraordinary miracle is when they get healed instantly or dramatically or creatively, like maybe, you know, the missing arm grows back or something. 
Personally, when I read that, that extraordinary miracle, I think it might be referring to remote healings and deliverance because it says here that hankies and aprons that had just touched Paul were taken away to heal the sick and cast out demons. So there's no evidence they even prayed over the hankies. You know the thing about you know, taking a prayer cloth? It doesn't even say that he prayed over them. It just said that you know, somebody kind of waved their hanky kind of like on Paul's arm and they took it away and somebody got healed. Okay, so it was, it's a little bit like the woman who was touched the hem of Jesus' garment. She, she simply got healed by the sheer power that was flowing from him, which kind of got transmitted into material things like clothes. Earlier in Acts, we hear another story that Peter healed people simply when his shadow fell on them. I think that's a pretty extraordinary miracle. He didn't even touch them. He didn't. He just walked past. His shadow fell on them, and they got healed. So, from the moment the Holy Spirit lands on planet Earth, we see an astonishing variety of manifestations of His power or working. So, that's aside from just speaking in tongues. We see that the Holy Spirit gives people the power to pick the right person for the job. But anybody like that in their work situation? It's <laughs> like a Holy Spirit um, anointing for picking the right person. We see that the Holy Spirit supernaturally enabled translation of other languages. So when they first got the Holy Spirit, the speaking in tongues wasn't just the tongue of angels or gobbledygook, as most people think that, that tongues is just like gobbledygook. It was actually real languages. People heard other people speaking in languages that they had never learned. We see that the Holy Spirit empowered preaching. It empowered absolutely crazy, crazy generosity. The Holy Spirit empowered people to witness, and he gave people joy in the face of intense persecution, even martyrdom, if we read the story of Stephen. So the Holy Spirit comforts people when the going is tough. He's not averse to sending an earthquake or two. Um, quite likes breaking chains and bursting open prison doors, occasionally does transportation. <laughs> who's, who's like, yes, that's what you want, eh? That, wouldn't that, you know, if you've ever sat for kind of 14 hours on an aeroplane in, in, in the kind of economy cattle class, then you'd really like the, the, the gift of transportation. So like Jesus, the Holy Spirit really does well in healing and casting out demons, but we have to mention that Holy Spirit has also occasionally blinded people and made them drop down dead. Oops. <laughs> um, that's, a, that's kind of, let's not believe for that one. It's okay. He also resurrects people, including Paul himself, who was stoned and left for dead. So Holy Spirit empowers dreams, visions, trances. Um, he's quite good in helping people to survive shipwrecks and also venomous snake handling. So who wants to live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit? Yeah, especially the last bit, the venomous, we all want to do the venomous snake handling. So for me, it really, really is this question of which spirit did you receive? The one who works miracles or the one who doesn't? And it really is the greatest desire of my heart for us to let God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit out of the boxes that we've tried to put them in. So on Friday morning, I was telling Chanel earlier, I went with Lynn Clarkson and a little team of prophetic people to minister to the prophetic team in another church. 
So in this church, they, they were very new in the things of the Holy Spirit and the prophetic, and we wanted to convey to them the, the sheer freedom and creativity of the prophetic, that it's not, a, it's not a competition, it's not something we have to do it as the next person does it. So in that gathering, so we had a little team, um, there were about five of us and there were about 12 of them, so we had people who experienced the prophetic in words, in pictures, in dreams, in vision, in poetry, in art, in photography, physically in their hands. Someone actually felt like that's how they experienced God moving actually in their hands. Um, practically in gifts and giving gifts, in songs and worship, in wisdom and counseling. So the Holy Spirit is really pretty creative in the way that he can work. Um, and I just wanted to share a couple of stories of, of my experience of the Holy Spirit and his creativity in my life. So I think one of the funnest things the Holy Spirit ever did with me was to get somebody saved through poetry. Now, who would like to do that? That's, that's really nuts, eh? That's kind of crazy. So but the way that happened was this, is that we used to go down to the Mind, Body, Soul Fair in Westville, and we would set up a healing booth and we'd put a little, we'd kind of take some chairs and some dividers down there and we'd put a notice saying free healing, which is very important because everybody else charged for healing. So we did free healing. So they would come and they would come and we would just say, hey, can we pray for you? And I was usually the person who got to stand on the outside of the booth because a lot of people really were keen to pray for, pray for people, but, but kind of they sort of usually stuck me there because I was the one who didn't really mind talking to complete strangers and saying, hey, how are you today? Are you sick? <laughs> Wouldn't you like these people to pray for you? So I would do that a kind of a fair bit. But what really frustrated me was if they weren't sick, I didn't want to say to them. So I'd say, are you sick? Do you have a pain in your body anywhere? And they say, no, I'm fine, and then walk off. So that, that kind of bothered me, because I was like, oh, I'm not, oh, yeah, I kind of find evangelism quite difficult. Um, I don't know how to start up this conversation. So, you know, what we need to do is I need a little handout to give to them. Now, this is the mind-body-soul fair where we've got, like, Hindus and, and Buddhists and Reiki healers, and we've got all sorts of weird and wonderful people. So I thought, no, I don't want to give them the tract, because that's, like, religious, and we never even told these people that we were actually Christians. We used to, we used to well, we, we didn't, we would say to them, they would, we'd say, oh, we are Christ followers. We didn't, never told them we came from a church. So we'd say, oh, we are Christ followers. And, and then they'd kind of come up and say, you know, this sort of funny kind of other he's like, oh, I channel the angel Raphael. Who do you channel? And we say, oh, we channel Jesus. <laughs> we find Jesus very, very good. He, like, he's really, he's a really great at healing. So, so we would engage in this kind of like new age. I thought, well, I'll, I'll, what I'm going to do is I'm going to actually do a track, but I'm not going to do it like a, a normal religious track. I'm going to write a poem. And I'm going to write it like in a way that will appeal to these new age people. So this is the poem that I, that I wrote. It's called, I am. I am here, I am now. I am wind and I am snow. I am color in the autumn. I am life that buds in spring. I am fruit that bears in winter when all around is dim. I'm the echo in the darkness. I'm the writing on the wall. I'm the hand that lifts the mountains. I'm the fist that makes them fall. I'm the thunder in the heavens. I'm the whisper in the breeze. I'm the endless sky above you. I'm the rock beneath your knees. I'm the breath that breaks the silence when every child is born. I'm the wave that breaks the water when the tide is coming home. I'm the heart forever yearning. I'm the flame that will not die. I'm the hope that keeps on burning. I'm the oil that won't run dry. I am the voice that summons life from every dying star. Because I speak, you are. 
Okay. It's quite cheesy, actually. <laughs> I love this poem. It's, it's really, I mean, it really is, I mean, come on, it's poetry. It's, it's fairly cheesy, and it's really, really new age. Um, I put it, I printed it down on a little black piece of paper with a few rainbows, because I know rainbows are always popular in these events. So I put some rainbows on there, and I thought, well, I better give them a contact number, but I didn't want to give them anything to do with my, now my, own email address is jill at hillside.org and I didn't want to tell them like what hillside is so I made up I, I kind of registered I went on to google and I found myself a nice new age sounding I registered a new age sounding email address which is life is orchestral at gmail.com <laughs> Still my email, still my, still my, and, and I had that forwarded to Hillside, so I kind of get this little paper, and the next time we went down to Mind, Body, Soul Fair, I stood, and every time somebody said they, were, they weren't feeling ill, I, I would give them one of these little tracts, and give them, here, have this. So, kind of, we kind of go away, and then what happens is that a few days later, I get an email on this Life is Orchestral email from a lady whose brother is a Hindu, and he has taken this little tract home to him. Because she is, she's struggling a little bit sort of psychologically and spiritually, he gives, her, he gives her this piece of paper and says, here, this might help you. <laughs> so she reads this. And then she emails me and she says, um, uh, my name is Sharon, and I am suffering from psychic attacks. Can you help me? And I said, yeah, of course I can help you. I can, I can. Yeah, what are psychic attacks? It sounds a bit demonic. I wasn't sure what it was. So I said, okay, that's, that's fine. Um, can we meet? So she lived like way down in Queensborough or something, and then she'd agreed to come up, and we met at Woodrow's Coffee Shop. You remember the days when Woodrow's Coffee Shop was by? So we met across the table, and then I heard her story, and her story was that she was actually a Christian. She had been raised a Hindu in a very strong Hindu family, and she had given her life to Jesus. And since she had done this, she had really felt persecuted by her Hindu family. And she was having these kind of demonic manifestations and panic attacks, and these weird sort of things were happening to her. And she was quite convinced that it was because the family had put a curse on her as they would, because they were a bit annoyed about her becoming a Christian. So I, so over the table at Woodrow's, I explained to her a little better theology than that and said, no, 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 listen, the Jesus in you is much more powerful than this Jesus in them. So all we're going to do is we're just going to pray and we're just going to cut you off from all this rubbish and, and you'll be fine. So I prayed over the table. She went away. Six months later, she emailed me again and said... You know, since the day you prayed for me, my life has turned around completely. I have been totally fine. I've been wonderful. In fact, my life has changed so much that both my brother and my sisters have given their lives to Jesus. How's that? Evangelism by poetry. So that's a... So that's the kind of, so, so when I say the Holy Spirit is kind of creative and wants to do different stuff, that, that's, the kind of, that's the kind of stuff he wants to do. Um, another really cool thing, because one of the ways that Holy Spirit speaks to me is actually in dreams, and I have really weird and wonderful dreams. So one time we were in, in Brazil, and we knew that the next day we were going to be doing a kind of meeting, which was going to be some kind of a healing crusade. And I, I went to kind of to bed, and during the night I had this dream and in this dream I was I saw myself lay hands on this person and say and and open their eyes in Jesus name so I woke up in total terror 
I thought, I do not. I, I know Jesus, Jesus opened the eyes of the blind, but I don't have faith for that. I am not, I am not doing this, and I know God. I am, this, is not, this is a little bit above my pay grade here. So, so I kind of thought, oh, I can't. But then, but then there was also this conviction that shame, this is obviously for someone, but, but I don't know if I've got faith for this. So what happened when we got to the meeting and they lined six of us up the front and said, okay, who's got words of knowledge? I kind of said very tentatively, um, I think there's a, someone here who has got problem with their eyes. You see, because I was like chickening out now. Um, and immediately, a woman stood up at the back and came forwards. And what has happened? She wasn't blind at all. She actually had an eye that was paralyzed shut. So she, so, and she had one eye was shut, and the other eye was twitching all the time. So I kind of looked at that and thought, oh, my word. This is the woman. This is the one. So I ministered to her in my best Portuguese, and I said, Abra which is open in Portuguese. <laughs> it's, really, it's really helpful if when, you, when you're ministering in a foreign language if you have just a very short prayer because that's about all you can manage. So I said, Abra? Nomid. No, not Abracadabra. I just said, Abra? Nomid de Jesus. And immediately her eye opened and she was completely fine. Thinking like, whoa. So I learned to listen to Holy Spirit and say, like, if he said open their eyes... He said, open their eyes. He didn't say, he didn't say, heal the, he didn't say give sight to the blind. He said, open their eyes. So I kind of learned something about ministering with, with, with Holy Spirit in that. One more little testimony, and this is really about the power of testimony. Testimony is an amazing thing. Another time we were at Mind, Body, Soul Fair, I remember, I think Hilton and myself were praying together, and then somebody came who had a spur on the bottom of their heel. You know, like a spur, it's a little bone growth and it makes it really sore to work, walk on the foot. And so and I'm pretty sure, I think Hilton, I don't, I don't, I mean, I was praying with him, but I think he laid hands on the person and he prayed for them. And this, this, she could actually, the person could actually feel this bone sort of through the sock and then it like went, it went completely. It just got instantly, miraculously healed. Um, so this person was, was healed of a spur and they went away happy. And then this is the crazy thing that that day we saw two more people came with exactly the same problem. I mean, what are the chances? I mean, how bizarre is that, that in the one day we get three people with the same problem? And of course, when the second one comes along, and, you know, we, we're doing this, you know, we are the bold healing team, and, say, and they say, oh, you're doing healing. What can you heal? Can you heal anything? And they say, oh, can you heal a spur? And we say, oh, yeah, we just healed one of those just now. So we were, we were ridiculously over-the-top confident now. So we had three, we saw three of these things healed in the one day. And then probably several, probably two, or three years later, not, not too long ago, probably about a year or so in Hillside, I was preaching and I told that story. Now, can you believe it? There was a woman in the meeting whose husband had a spur. So she went home and said to him, oh, you, you must come to Hillside because, because they heal that kind of thing there. So he came and I think she dragged him. I think it was a Sunday night. She dragged him to the meeting and we prayed for him. Do you remember praying for that guy? I think it was, his name was Justice. We prayed for him, and it wasn't, it didn't actually go instantly, but we prayed for him, and like two, a couple of weeks later, he was completely healed. The thing, the problem completely went away. So, I mean, so that was just, that was just the testimony of something that happened before. And then, and, and I think the Holy Spirit actually loves to do that. I think he just loves to mess with us. I think he loves, like, messing around with that. I did thought that maybe I should ask if anybody has a spur on their foot 
today. I heard of someone this morning who actually had one, but they said they thought they had been healed of it inadvertently. I was like, oh, I think I've been healed of that. So, yeah, so if anybody has got, wants healing for a spur, we, we can do that. We, we know together the Holy Spirit can do that. The Holy Spirit just really, really loves to partner with us creatively. He loves to do crazy stuff. He loves to do fun stuff. He loves to do... He, he, he kind of... He, he responds to, to our, our desires and, 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 and the way we want to work with him. There is actually only one thing or one way that Holy Spirit will not empower us, and that is to do it by ourselves. That's the only thing he won't empower is if we just want to go off and do it on our own. If you don't believe me, you can read a little bit further down in that passage in, that we read from Acts chapter 19, and you'll see after Paul's done all these extraordinary miracles and stuff, it tells the story of some itinerant Jewish exorcist who undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man whom, in whom the evil, was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so they fled out of that house naked and wounded." So it's like seven. So seven guys thought they could. They thought it was. They thought it was just like a magic. They thought it was autobank. That oh, that's a that's a great formula. Holy Spirit, do it. You know, in in Jesus' name, do this healing. And they actually came very badly unstuck, because it's not. It's not. It's not magic. It's not a technique. It's not. It's actually a relationship. So Holy Spirit just really, really desires to have relationship with us, and He desires to do this because we're in relationship with Him. So He partners with us. So I just want to finish with it, and it's really not going to be long tonight. I just want to finish by just just four very, very simple points because I'm sure you're all sort of saying, "Oh yeah, I'd like to do that, but how?" How do I actually partner with Holy Spirit in this kind of life of crazy, extraordinary miracles? How do I actually do that? So there are four very, very simple points that that have kind of helped me. And the first thing is that we have to see what he is doing. Okay, well, that's difficult. So you remember the story of Jesus and Nicodemus when in John chapter 3 he says that Nicodemus came to him by night and he kind of they had this weird conversation where Jesus says to him you've got to be born again and he says oh I don't get that and Jesus says, no unless you are born again you can't see the kingdom of God now if you apply a sort of a upside down logic to that that kind of seems to imply to me that if you are born again you can see the kingdom of God would you agree with me? That, that kind of makes sense. If, you, you, you can't, if, if you're not born again, you can't see, but the minute you are born again, that's part of your birthright is to be able to see the kingdom of God. So when we say see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is simply the rule and reign of God coming to earth. It's basically heaven in. So heaven in healthcare, heaven in education, heaven in hillside, heaven in your work, heaven in the place where you study. It's, it's the Holy Spirit coming. It's, it's he comes to bring heaven, the rule of reign, reign of God into that, into that place. And it's, your, and it's your birthright as a Christian to be able to see that. And again, you can say, well, 
you know, some people seem, they walk into even like a meeting tonight and they see what God is doing. They sort of seem to say, oh yeah. And so you have these people say, oh, I see the Holy Spirit is doing this, he's healing that or whatever. And, and some people come in and say, well, I have no clue what, what the Holy Spirit's doing here. I have absolutely no idea. And I want to tell you that you can train and learn to see what the Holy Spirit is doing um, and some people see it more easily than others, but seriously, you can learn to do that. And the first thing about that is actually to notice. This is the one thing I've learned from other much more kind of um, experienced people who minister in the Holy Spirit, that actually it's really important to start noticing things. Who's ever had a Where's Wally book? You know that Wally is there somewhere. Some people spot him really, really easily, and some people have to work very, very hard, and they stare, and they go up and down, and they scan to see, where is Wally? The Holy Spirit is a little bit like a where's Wally sometimes in a meeting. It's like, where, you? where is he? he? We know he is here somewhere, and because we, we know that he's doing something, we know there's something he wants to do. So we literally have to go and say, okay, what is he doing? And that means sometimes just tuning in even to your natural senses, tuning into what, it, what is he highlighting to you. Sometimes you'll look, go, you know, you can look. I mean, even now, look, look around this group of people. Look, look, yeah. Look around, think. Just see, what, what is, is, is he highlighting anything? Is, he, is anything sort of leaping out at you? Is there anything that's obvious? Um, when Richard, when the couple of weeks ago when Richard was preaching, um, I don't know if you, were, if you were in that meeting, you'll probably remember that in the worship, Graham Smith had a word for Clinton Ruth, and, and he started that word by actually noticing that he could actually smell there was this... There was a scent, there was this aroma. So he kept walking, oh, he kept sniffing this and walking past them to see if he'd imagined it or if it was somebody's perfume or whatever. So he actually, that, that was a way that he became aware of where the Holy Spirit was doing something. So he became, and because he was aware of it, he noticed it, he focused on it, and then he started asking questions. They're saying, okay, so God, what are you doing? And, and he felt like he got a name and then he looked up and he looked up the name of this thing. I often do that. You know, often when, when the Holy Spirit shows me things that I don't know, like words and things I don't know what they are, I, I Google them. I mean, that seems very unspiritual, doesn't it? <laughs> to Google what the Holy Spirit is doing. But you, but you can, you can actually, you can, he can give you, you can, you can look it up. So you can take the things that he's showing you and you can notice them. So, and, and we all have different, some, some, some people are very visual, they notice what they see, some people notice what they hear. Um, I'm the kind of a person that I usually feel nothing in fire tunnels. I absolutely do not, I kind of go, I don't usually feel the Holy Spirit in any physical form whatsoever. So if I ever occasionally, if I notice that my hands have suddenly got tingly, that is like, oh my word, what is that? Holy Spirit, what do you want to do? Do you want to? Do you want me to lay hands on somebody and pray for them? Because that, for me, is remarkable. So I notice it and I ask Holy Spirit what He wants to do with it. Um, so, so there are signs. The Holy Spirit gives us signs, and a sign is meant to make you stop and wonder. That's why they're signs and wonders. It's something that makes you wonder and say, "Okay, I wonder what that sign is about. I wonder what God is wanting to do." So, so really, we can train our senses. We can train ourselves to notice and be aware. I mean, it's like 
I, I suddenly realized reading lots of these Bethel people and that they, they seemed to have encounters with God all the time. And I just realized it wasn't that they had more encounters than I did. It's just that they noticed them. So if I kind of drive into Hillside on a day when we have a visiting speaker coming to release the power of the Holy Spirit and there happens to be an eagle sitting on the fence, when, when I drive down the drive, I think, oh gosh, yeah, why is there an eagle there? Maybe God is saying something. And it's kind of crazy because you'll, you'll discover that quite often people who don't see much, is because you actually don't look. It's like you actually got to look and start noticing and seeing what, what God is doing. So that's the first thing is actually to see. We have to start seeing and, and looking for what Holy Spirit is doing. The second thing is to desire, is to really desire it, desire to partner with him, desire desire to be with him, desire to hang out with him, desire to be in, in relationship with him. Because as, as I said, it's not, a, it's not a push button thing. It really is a relationship. So we need to desire to hang out with him, desire to do stuff with him. For me, one of, one of the desires of my heart I had for a very, very long time was to see someone wake up out of a coma. It was partly because I had prayed for a lot of, dead, a lot of dying people who'd, all, who'd actually died, and it was a bit depressing that, because one, one of the things you'll, you encounter as a person in pastoral ministry is that you do kind of actually sort of end up being with a lot of people who are either dead or dying, you know, because it's, it's just part of the job, you know, it's just like an occupational hazard. People call you when, you know, even people you don't know very well, I'm sorry, it seems really funny, but it's true, people call you and, and you end up kind of being there and even you don't really know them. So sometimes, so I've been with a lot of people at the point of death and even if those, if those people have been Christians, sometimes it's been the most awesome moment where you've almost like felt like the the, the distance between heaven and earth is like so, it's like so tangible. The presence of Jesus in the room is just so, it, it's just been amazing. But I've also been with a lot of people who've actually been in comas and then it's actually not so fun because actually, you know, they're in a coma, you pray for them and then they die anyway. And that's like really, really, really depressing. So I kept saying to, to God, God, I really want to, I want to see somebody wake up. I'm sick of praying for people in comas and then they, they die. It's just really not fun at all. So I kept kind of pestering about this. And then one day, there was a granny from the preschool who was in the hospital, and she was on a ventilator, so she was completely sedated. She was very, very ill. She had got worse and worse, and, and Barbara kind of phoned the office and said, like, can any of the elders go pray for her? And, and I think I, I can't remember I went the first time with someone else, so kind of went and prayed for her. And then she really wasn't doing well. And Barbara said, no, no, she's really, she's, they've, the doctors have actually said they're actually now, I think she was on, was she, do you remember? She was like five weeks maybe on a ventilator. And I think the longer you're on a ventilator, it's not really great news, hey, Chris? I'm like, the longer you can, and she had some, she'd got some infection in her body and organs were causing problems and stuff. So I went to kind of, so I went to pray for her, and then apparently they said she would, she was kind of getting a little bit better, but she was still on the ventilator. And then one day I was actually driving kind of back from somewhere, Westville or something, and I was actually coming up the M13 by the turn off, and I really felt the Holy Spirit say to me, go pray for that lady again. So I went to, so I went in there, I went into the ICU, 
And there was a, a really, really sweet kind of Christian nurse there who'd been looking after. And I said, oh, can I, can I come pray for this lady? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, come, come. She's just waking up. I go, what? <laughs> she's... So, so I got to be there in the moment when she woke up. And that was just Holy Spirit's gift to me. I'm not saying that it was my prayers that woke her up alone because I just know there were hundreds there were loads and loads of people praying for her but he but that was a desire of my heart and he gave me that desire to be there and it's actually quite embarrassing something because he's saying yeah no no go 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 Joe pray for her go talk to her I'm thinking she doesn't know me she has no clue <laughs> you know sort of, I, she, she, I've been here praying sent by someone who knows the family who don't even know that I'm here so I'm thinking this poor lady she's going to wake anyone who the heck is this person because um, yeah, I, I was. She just didn't know me at all. But but it was it was kind of my privilege. So the Holy Spirit allowed me that privilege of being there at the moment when she woke up, which was super super cool. So it comes to my third point, which is ask. So see, desire, and then just like ask, ask him to do stuff with you. Say, can I ask you what what can we you know what can we do right now? Um, I had this experience in Belo once, um, another and in, in another church in in Brazil, where we we were doing a meeting, and again it was a situation where they sort of expected us to have some words of knowledge. So I thought, well, I better get a word of knowledge, and you know, words of knowledge on you don't screw yourself up to get words of knowledge. <laughs> you really don't. Lorraine's <laughs> finding it's very funny. You, I mean, words of knowledge, it's like, I find a word, it's almost like a butterfly that flits past you and you have to, and again, you have to notice it. It's like something, so if, if you're asking Holy Spirit for something and then this weird thought comes into your head, it's probably Holy Spirit. You actually have to go with it. Just go with it. However, because at the end of the day, what does it matter if it's wrong? I mean, it'll just be embarrassing for you. It's not going to hurt anybody. So, so just just, just do just do this thing. Just respond to it. So so I was kind of so so I think okay okay God. So I was in the meeting in the worship, thinking okay God, just just show me something. And I got a couple of body parts because that's like good for wisdom knowledge. You know, if God gives you a body part, you're saying oh it's like a left knee or a kind of sore ear or something. So that was helpful. So I kind of gave those out. And then He just showed me this almost like a flash of a picture. And in this picture, I saw a woman in her kitchen. She was holding a glass. I think it was a glass or a coffee cup. She dropped it. It smashed on the floor. And she said, oh, I'm so stupid. So this is, this is what I got. So I'm thinking, like, hmm, that's a bit weird. And... Again, what, what can it hurt? I mean, I mean, like the worst that happens is that you give out this kind of stupid picture and nobody responds. So I thought, okay, let's, so I gave my two kind of body part words and then I said, I've also got this picture and I just, see, I just see a picture of a woman and you just in the kitchen this morning, you're in your kitchen, you dropped something on the floor, it smashed and you said, I'm so stupid. A woman on like the second row started to howl. I mean, I mean, like really howl. Wasn't even like I didn't have have time for the interpreter to say, "Would does that mean anything to anybody?" This woman started howling and howling and howling because it actually so because it had actually literally happened to her, and and then. As, as I kind of went to pray for her, then actually the word was so obvious. She had written herself off as being stupid and um, unworthy and, and just, and, and God, all God wanted to say to her is, you're not stupid, you're not unworthy, you're actually amazing, you're my kid, don't see yourself that way because that's not how I see you. So that was one of the most profound ministry experiences I ever got in, like, in praying for people. And it just came from this stupid picture. 
And if I hadn't had the courage to give the stupid picture, then it wouldn't have happened. So the, so the last point is, so, so see what he's doing, desire to partner with him, ask him for something specific, and then respond. You actually, so if he gives you something, you just have to actually respond or obey is, is a bit of a heavy word, but it just means actually go with it. What have you got to lose? And you have a lot, you've nothing to lose, and you've got an awful lot to gain. So some of you have heard this testimony we gave at Easter, which is an incredibly profound testimony, but I am very, very grateful. A good friend of mine, Lynn, who is very, very prophetic, was, it was on the 27th of March, and she was praying in the morning, 7 o'clock in the morning, and as she was praying, all she saw was my face. She just kept seeing my face, she told me afterwards. And so instead of praying what she was praying for, she prayed for me for an hour. And at the end of that hour, she wrote a little prophetic word and she something, a little encouragement and reminder, and she sent it to me on a WhatsApp. Now, I didn't see that until um, a little bit later because what had happened is around the time she finished praying, I was praying for something else. I was praying for Connection Center because I was going to do a Connection Center thing in the evening and I thought, well, it's a busy day. I should pray now and just see if God's showing me anything. And as I'm praying for that, this thought, you know, that, you know that like like the butterfly or just just kind of flitted through my mind, oh, I must pray for Karis and her baby. So that's my daughter, Karis. She was 38 weeks pregnant at the time, thinking, oh, 38 weeks, baby's due soon. I should pray for her and just for protection for the baby. So it it was a 30-second, like, okay, yeah, hi, Lord, please protect Karis and the baby, move on, carry on with what I'm praying. What I, so then I kind of came out, I saw Lynn's message, oh, that's really funny, that's interesting, Lynn's been praying for me too. What I didn't know until about 3 o'clock in the, in the afternoon was about an hour after that, my 38-week pregnant daughter was on a railway station in the UK where she fainted, she'd got some blood pressure or blood sugar problems. She fainted, fell off the platform onto the railway track. Um, she couldn't have been in the park. I mean, obviously, she was there waiting for a train. Fortunately, there wasn't a train in that moment. She knew nothing about it until she woke up with three, what she says, three lovely people were pulling her off the, off the railway track. And I think those three lovely people, personally, I think they were angels, or if they weren't actually angels, they were angels standing around. The th they were angels kind of nudging the three lovely... Because, in, I mean, A, to, to fall off a platform this high is, is quite a scary thing when you're 38 weeks pregnant. It's, it's not, it's not a, a kind of thing that people in the UK rush to leap onto, to climb down onto railway tracks to rescue other people. It's kind of like not what happens. Most, pe most people in that sort of situation, it ends really, really badly. But the Holy Spirit was, was just doing that. So I'm really grateful. I mean, so I'm grateful that I had the little prompting, but I'm really grateful that I had a friend who also just was nudged by Holy Spirit to pray and prayed for me. And she prayed for me. It was kind of like the domino effect. She prayed for me, so I prayed for Karis. And then Karis got miraculously delivered from this, what would have actually been a, a, a life and death situation. So Holy Spirit is really, really awesome. He, he just so wants to partner with us. He so wants to do this kind of fun stuff. He wants to... Um, he, he just wants to engage with us. And all he's just, he's just looking for is us to be willing to engage back. He wants us to be willing to, to see, to look, to ask, to desire, to obey, to partner, to kind of be with him. So who wants to do that?
<laughs> Can I pray for us? I don't know what the time is, I think. Yeah. Let's, let's stand if you want to respond to this. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for your incredible love for us, just your incredible commitment to, to have a relationship with us, to partner with us, to, to help us to live this supernatural life. You want us to live a supernatural life. You don't want us to live boring lives. You don't want us to live disempowered lives. You just want us to be partnering with you. So Holy Spirit, we just actually ask that you would open our eyes right now. Open our eyes to see what you're doing. And you can literally open your eyes because this is not religious. It's not like super eyes closed religious time. Literally, I just want to ask you right now, just open your eyes and look around and ask him just to show you something, to just show you, to highlight, just to notice someone, something. And if he shows you something, literally just before you go home tonight, you can go and share with that person what they saw. It might just be, it could be something so simple. You know, it could be just, um, hey, Brad, you know, I see your Batman shirt. <laughs> I, think you're, I think you're an awesome superhero. You know, I mean, but it, it could literally be as simple as that. You never know what the, what the meaning of a thing will be for somebody else. So, yeah, just, just allow Holy Spirit just to show you something, just to highlight something to you and just go and be crazy enough to share it with somebody. Can we do that? Awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your story if you've been encouraged by this episode. You can connect with us on Facebook or leave a review on our podcast.